Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. We're coming, and we ain't backing down. We don't need a bunch of cats in here. Looking in the mirror. Hey, will you shut up? I'm bitterly disappointed with the officiating today. Guys being dudes. And they run through our like through a tin horn, man. Thank you, Lee. Worth to live by. Alex Kirshner. Uh we are we're we're vaccine awareness people these days. I have returned to New York City. I'm getting my second dose tomorrow. You have your first dose? As of this week? I was able to receive my first dose last week. Uh, very exciting. Uh, I feel feel great about it. I am happy that I did some good for myself and my community. I want to talk about an important frontier there, Richard, with getting well, the hold vaccine. on. But, but before we do that, I, I, before you go, I think it's important to understand that the two of us are like-minded, I think, but we're also like-aged. I think that we're speaking to an audience of... of young millennials, you know, who are going to get it. But there is an audience of other, you know, potentially more susceptible people to this virus who also may need to understand that vaccine awareness is for all of us. And and of course, how the vaccine affects, you know, older bodies, people who are who are a little more long in the tooth, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so we do have a friend who we know has received the vaccine as of today and is a little bit, you know, advanced age. Stephen Godfrey, welcome to the show. Geriatric. Well, Stephen, I want to point out something that you did that I think was important, which is that in this economy, we all know that when you go to get a vaccine, you should be extra about it and tell everyone you know, because we need to kind of raise awareness. We need, you know, if it gets one person off the fence when you tweet your vaccine picture, it's worth it. That's great. Everyone should get it. You were very fashion forward. Uh, You were wearing a... Georgia Southern University get after their asses shirt under a cardigan. I would assume no one has gotten vaccinated in that getup. You're still wearing it now as we record. Podcasting is a visual medium. Uh, was that a conscious choice, knowing that you were going to be broadcasting that shot to the masses? Uh, no, it's the end of winter. It's We have two weeks that are just sort of the end of winter in Nashville, and it's as the pollen descends to make you miserable, but it, it gets cold and warm in the same time. It's, it's like Seattle weather, I guess, so I had a t-shirt on to get the vaccine because they need access to your arm, but it was a little too, it was like, I, I was like, I had to throw something else on and I didn't want to go with the hoodie for obvious logistics reasons. Cause then you got to mess with your mask and I had AirPods in. So that was it. So, um, I've had many, many people today, including the actual folks at home field comment about the fact that no one has ever worn a Georgia Southern t-shirt 
with a cardigan and i'm like surely there's 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 some <laughs> fellow or lady out there who's done that uh, I, I i mean what are i assume what are our respective allegiances here i'm pfizer gang myself pfizer oh, i'm team moderna jesus yeah i didn't know i was angling for the johnson and johnson just because as a very tired father i don't want to do it twice uh but when i showed up they said you're getting the pfizer and i was like okay i'll stand here i i you know so that's it i do feel tired uh from it and and you know what you feel tired all the time because you're a father of of several this is true yes it is hard that's not yes it is hard to tell which is which it's just he's tired all the time don't let don't let him yes. don't let him sway you. Uh, Here's the other thing, but but let me just say this, Alex. I, I, we'll we'll drop the bit for a second. I am tired, but also I am a father of three, and I I don't care if honestly if the first thing that happened after they gave me this vaccine, if all my fingers broke, I still would have done it because I need to have this this damn thing to get on with my life and for everyone else to get on with theirs. So I highly encourage all of you, if you're on the fence, you absolutely should go do that. Absolutely. I want to see, I don't know in what city yet, but I want to see people at tailgates this fall. I want to be in close quarters. I want to be drinking from the same ice luges. <laughs> I want to you. cough on you, Alex. No, but I want to be able to share an ice luge without worrying about whether or not taking that fireball down that ice luge is going to give me a virus. And I, I want that same thing for everyone. No, it was it was some kind of virus. The way we get there does ice, is with vaccines. Does, does ice luge have a, a conference affiliation? You, you, can't, you can't do them where I'm from. You certainly can't do them where Richard's from because they just wouldn't last. And yet I you mean, can do luge. them in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which we did. In October, which we did, yeah. In October, oh, like you can you can do it later in the year for a limited amount of time. The ice luges I'm thinking of are the ones that stay out all day. Like it, like you could do it for like the Halloween game at Wisconsin, right? Yeah. The weather's going to be amenable. Yeah. To that. So is this a Big Ten thing? Gotta be, gotta be. Big I 10. need I need ats. I need people in my mentions. There have been some stunt ice luges in the Southeastern Conference. I've seen a couple. I'm guessing this is the Big Ten and the north side of the ACC. Just curious. And what do you drink out of the ice luge, young Kirshner? Richard, what was it? Fireball? I think it was Fireball. Something like that. Fireball. Drink response. Hi, Brian. Uh, Anyway, folks, speaking of things that everyone should be inoculated against, Kansas football. (laughs) They are doing a couple things right now in Lawrence. Uh, Well, they're not doing anything. Well, I guess, yeah, I mean, I guess they're out of the men's basketball tournament, but they're in in the human resources department. They are conducting or in need of conducting a couple of searches because they don't have an athletic director because Jeff Long was not fit to continue in that job. And they don't have a coach because Les Miles wasn't fit to continue in that job uh, or in retrospect to be hired for that job in the first place. Uh, With what level of concurrency is Kansas doing the AD and coach searches? Arguably, no concurrency, or as little concurrency as possible, because it sounds like they're pretty serious about hiring the head co- or the AD first. That's probably how it should, should be. be. Yes, yeah. yes, this is a good thing. Um, I have written, roted, roted, because I'm a good writer. Uh, something for Banner Society that never went up because they actually made the, the the right move at Tennessee. But for a while, when Tennessee cleaned house a couple months ago, a couple weeks ago, time is irrelevant. Uh, it looked like the same thing was going to happen. That They were going to go talk to coaches and maybe make a hire before they made the athletic director hire. They ended up getting Danny White. He ended up making a very bad and dumb hire, so maybe you shouldn't listen to me. But uh, I would say in 99 out of 100 cases, you should always hire your athletic director before your head coach. So if, so Kansas is doing that. The problem is they're also talking to coaches right now, which is the dumbest fuck. How does that work? So who does on. that? Who does the talking if you don't have an athletic director? 
uh, an amorphous blob of moneyed people <laughs> who are probably in some way, shape, or form responsible for at least a little bit of the rot that we're all witnessing publicly. Think about, Therefore, pre- pretend Auburn didn't have an athletic director. Remember when they announced that steering committee or whatever, searching committee or whatever? Think those class of guys. And also, search it's a lot of people. The, it's a lot of people overreaching just as a function. Um, yeah, and the search firm is still interfacing the, with people and going through the Rolodex as well because that's their job. It's weird to me though. Some of the people that they've spoken with, they're not small candidates. It's not. A, it's not. A, it's there's validity to the contact, but I think it's going to end up alienating the the, the candidacy, or the, I should say, the, the available pool of candidates at Kansas even more so than it already has because Kansas, in case you forgot. Um, you know, the former AD Jeff Long was the one who tried to screw over um, David Beatty and the entire football coaching staff by inviting the NCAA in. We did that bit the last time I was on the show. The problem is, like, that left a bad taste in a lot of other coaches' mouths in the industry, combined with the scholarship issues, combined with the roster talent. This is not an attractive job by any stretch. So you really, really need to let this new AD come and sell some sort of, like, vision and I'm just I'm shocked to hear and I keep hearing that Kansas is trying to talk to, co- to football coaches right now it's a very dumb idea I asked an agent yesterday if his client who he previously told me was interested in the job was still interested in the job and he said I hope not so <laughs> that's how that's going so when Beatty took that job which was in 20 I think it was for the 2015 season they had 39 scholarship players at one point that year like they weren't close to the 85. My understanding is that that's improved somewhat, but I guess it's still also somewhat dire. Godfrey, is that like a massive strike against this against this gig? Yeah. So the like the, the the kind of back of the envelope analysis being made by coaches and by agents right now is that they're not technically at full strength. Um, however, they are further along because of Beatty specifically. The biggest issue they had was the obviously the chart in case you don't know i mean we all i i feel like the 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 media and the and the college football sort of what we used to call the blogosphere we follow kansas football because it's funny it's like looking at a car wreck that keeps ha- it's like a perpetual car wreck but if you don't care or know about kansas football which is a lot of you listening they basically flooded the juco market under uh under charlie weiss and then never ever caught up ever it was kind of amazing they did what bill snyder did except they sucked at it it, except being really bad at it and one of the things that i'm constantly reminded by when we talk about juco's in k-state is that like well-intentioned but very passionate k-state fans will remind me that there are juco's that sort of serve as a backbone at k-state but they do a really good job of going out finding overlooked recruits in a four on a four-year track and developing them it's not all juco so kansas is all banged up from juco david Beatty took a really slow path because he thought he was going to get that time and then jeff long came in as as the new ad and decided he wanted to hire his friend les miles to create some energy around the program because that's what les miles gives you he gives you energy around the program so that's the that's the rough tldr alex so am i to understand that the scholarship issues are basically entirely because they went too heavy on juco and they're restricted by initial counter rules or is there any kind of money issue that affects kansas's ability to flesh out a roster to build a program etc not money issues specifically they um the, the juco is the core of it but also just they when you're bad you have a lot of attrition when you have coaching changes you have a lot of attrition so it's really hard to catch up the problem is that these things kind of operate like uh like quicksand or a sinkhole and like the, fir- the the more you struggle the worse it gets 
um, because if you have if you have attrition issues as you come in as a new staff on a roster that doesn't have talent, well, what's the first thing you're going to do right now? You're going to take grad transfers and JUCO, right? Because you want guys who can play right away. That's what they say, right? We want to compete right away. You probably shouldn't compete right away. You should probably just suck. It's one of the things I've kind of I'm looking at and kind of parsing through at at uh, Georgia Tech because they transition out of the triple option, and I know we're going to talk about the triple option in a second. But what what they've attempted to do at Georgia Tech is bite down, deal with the problems and 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 the losses up front, and not try and create a quick fix. Kansas was a series of quick fixes. Then David Beatty said, "Let's slow it down and recruit well," and they kind of did. If you go back, like they're not bad classes, and it was not a terrible football team. The team that beat Texas, it wasn't. I'm not sliding that in there as a joke. They beat TCU, like they weren't bad. I'm pretty sure they beat TCU under David Beatty. Um, the problem was his was like an actual six year plan, and then they cut him off halfway, and then Les came in and started doing the, the quicksand shit again. He started just going like, oh, look, grab this guy, grab, you know, they got Puka, and they thought they could build an entire team around a running back. But all of this is to say this, guys the reason you need an AD is whoever comes in will legitimately, and I do not care if it is my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who actually comes in and gets on the headset. You are going to need six years time. So the AD has to assure the coach that you are not going to get the rug pulled out from under you after two or three, two and 10 seasons, because those are coming no matter what you do, unless you're in the triple. The uh, a, <laughs> uh, a couple of things here. I think that the first is, so Emmett Jones is the interim coach. Um, Godfrey sort of mentioned something that I think is not the worst idea. Suck on purpose. If you're broke and you don't have a ton of money right now anyway, maybe just punt this year and see what Emmett Jones has. He knows that roster. He's been there. Maybe he can pull a rabbit out of the hat. And guess what? Then that six-year plan, if he can show some proof of concept or he can show a six-year plan and, and the team starts to buy in and stuff like that, that's a whole lot cheaper than going to get somebody else. But a new AD comes in, a new AD is going to want their man. I get it. I understand how this works. They don't – it's not a bad plan at all. And I think maybe in a, in a less expensive college football era, it would be actually be the right move, Richard. We've seen it before. And like It's also Baylor April, got, by the way. Yeah, I, well, that's a very good point because like when Baylor happened or when some a lot of these offseason scandals happened or like when Freeze got fired, when he did at Ole Miss, they used interims. It doesn't, it doesn't kill you, but it's not going to help you. And the problem is it's going to set you back in recruiting that much further, especially if you're really operating by saying this is a temporary solution. Yeah, you can't. It's going to can't, hurt you in recruiting. Particularly because of the early signing period now, you can't leave the interim tag on. Like he's right. got to be the head coach. And I think ultimately that's the problem for them is that they don't want to commit to hiring. They don't want to commit to hiring anyone off of this actual staff as a full-time replacement. And they also... You know, they don't want to set recruiting back to 20, you know, 35 when they could actually be something. So it's it's just it's the problem is they have to make a coaching search soon. And it's going to it's going to be really weird because, like, you're going to have to find a guy to come in possibly in like the end of April or May. So names uh, and not, not only names, because with with athletic director candidates, Godfrey, like tell us what type of hire they represent. Uh, what's Campfire okay. talk on at least an archetype of athletic director that they are interested in? Uh, if not names specifically. Um, so the sell for both, 
before you get to the triple conversation is going to have to be incredibly young, incredibly patient. It's not dissimilar to, we're going to talk about Vanderbilt in a second. It's not dissimilar to that of finding someone who's smart enough to be dumb enough to take on a very bespoke challenge. And with Kansas, especially, you're going to have to find someone who's willing to be there for, because even if they are successful, it's still not, it's, it's still a five, six year commitment to be successful enough to show your worth, to move on to the next job. Right. Absolutely. I don't think anyone, and I could be wrong, and maybe you have just a truly dynamite personality or someone who like blows everyone away in recruiting. It's going to be really hard for someone to go five and seven in three years at Kansas, and people are going to look at that and go, wow, he went five and seven at Kansas. He must be great. You probably have to do That's the thing. You probably have to go do that twice. You have to do that yeah. two years in a and row. Make a bowl at some point. And like win the bowl and like yeah. get a news cycle out of like, wow, look at um, what they all did. So. As far as the AD goes, you're going to have to come in. You're going to, first off, you have to kiss the ring with basketball. So there's a lot of elements here that I'm not well-versed in because I don't know exactly how Bill Self operates or how long Bill Self wants to be at Kansas. I'm guessing he's at Kansas. I mean, he was, he's was younger. obvious. He, towards Bill Self is younger than you think, and he has still been there for fucking ever. It's obvious to me that he was the one pulling rank at the end. Because right before Long goes, right before the stuff with Miles comes out, you start seeing more and more public mention of the fact that Bill Self is not enamored with slash does not like Jeff Long. So as you would expect at Kansas, where they didn't they literally invent the freaking sport, like this is a basketball school. So you need to go ahead and, and figure out what's best for basketball in the in the short and long term, and then look at football. The problem is you cannot ignore football to the length of the links to the links of which uh, Kansas has, arguably. And I don't or, think or Kansas make a, and I don't think Kansas people want to ignore football forever. You know what I mean? No, like, I, I, I don't. I don't. You know, you can't. I'm not going to sit here. Every team has fans. All right. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think they want to sit here and continue to ignore football. No, they're in the Big Twelve. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they're in a football conference. Yeah. I'm serious. Like, they're not. This is not a UConn situation. This is not um, a Syracuse situation. They're in the Big Twelve, and while they are a basketball powerhouse and a basketball culture, they. I mean, they're in the Plain States. Football is very important. They're neighbors with you know Oklahoma and Nebraska and these type of cultures, and their in-state rival. You know, damn near went to a national title. One I mean, ninety-five percent of the is, difference between Kansas and Kansas State's football fortunes the last uh, twenty-five years is that Kansas State hired one of the best coaches of all time, and Kansas hired uh, what did we decide on the last show? Like four of the five worst hires of the last twenty years. <laughs> Close. You yes. just bring those two in from the polls a little bit, and the gap just—it doesn't have to be that big between the two. Well, Karsh, you bring up a really good point because from a resource standpoint, pre-Bill Snyder, you would argue that Kansas is and was the better job, even in football. So it's not like Manhattan, Kansas suddenly got closer to Houston, Texas, and they were able to pull kids in. Kansas State was Kansas. Like, Kansas State was the equivalent to Kansas, arguably worse mm -hmm. when he took over in 80-whatever. And that's the conversation that happens in Lawrence. So as we move along to talking about the football candidates, yes, you have to address the issues with basketball, the concerns, what's going on with the NCAA. No, I don't have a specific knowledge of that because I'm a football reporter. I don't think these sports are mutually exclusive in Lawrence, Kansas. They're not in Norman, Oklahoma. They're not at Ohio State. They're not pretty much anywhere in America. I mean, a better example, honestly, would be to look at like Look at the basketball schools that have found a functional football identity. The example that's brought up to me by coaches right now is go don't don't find a Bill Snyder, find a Mark Stoops. 
Like find someone or, or, you know, Mac Brown, I think would probably have the wrong connotation because of the Texas and the national title part of it. But, but find a Mac, find a North Carolina Mac Brown, find a David Cutcliffe, right? There's plenty of functional guys. I mean, honestly, if I'm looking, if I'm Kansas, I don't even look at the Mark Stoops model because the SEC recruiting kind of skews that Dave freaking Clawson, Mm. Dave Clawson, Mm. Dave Clawson would have been the perfect hire honestly to just plug and play in lawrence kansas i, I really believe that so it, it's very possible now we i don't really even think i don't I, i'm starting not to believe in football and basketball schools that much outside of maybe 10 or 15 universities in the entire well, the problem is this just, is this is the basketball school like one yeah. of the, the i mean but if, but if duke i mean if duke can go to the peach bowl and north carolina might be the second best team in the acc this fall like i just i'm starting to i'm starting to shed that i look you look auburn you know auburn and bruce pearl alabama is as we record are they they're still alive in the tournament right they're one yes seed? there are two and they they put it on my lads from the university of maryland pretty uh, badly the other night it wasn't fun okay richard your alma mater weren't you in college when florida won it no was that before no i was or? in high school when they won the national championship Okay, but I mean, they won two national championships. They were a better basketball program than Kentucky was for like ten years. Yeah, that was so, awesome. I mean, <laughs> right? So, so this idea that these are mutually exclusive, I really want to hammer that down and say that's not the case. And if you're listening to this, you probably go to or you go to a school or you're an alumnus of a school that is better at one than the other. Very few schools are. Oklahoma or Oregon or uh, gosh, I'm trying to think of another example. Like real quick. I mean, there's very like good at Ohio State. Good at you know, yeah, Ohio, right? Uh, Baylor, for that matter, right now. Um, so most of you have one sport that you're probably more in love with, or more sport that your your school's better known for. However, I don't think anyone listening goes. We, we're, it's prohibitive to be successful as long as if you have a Power Five affiliation, you have money. If you have money you're going to win or you're going to at least have the expectation of winning and not being a single sports school. So let me, let me officially kill that with Kansas. And I know you guys want to transition off in a couple different directions. This has become such a large topic in the off season. I never thought we'd spend this much time on KU. Yeah, I know it's weird. Uh, I think when we talk about athletic directors, there are some names out there. I think the names out there are pretty clearly linked to Kansas um, guy named Banks Floodman is a real estate guy out in Kansas City area. He used to work at the University of Kansas. He's a name that seems to have a lot of institutional backing there. Um, I, I just personally think, this is my opinion, if, if you've got a Kansas who you're trying to resurrect football, not, not resurrect, trying to bring it to life, um, and basketball is sort of self-sustaining and runs itself, why not kick the tires on somebody at the Chiefs? bring some pro knowledge and some pro backing or something like that to the table uh, and just let basketball sort of run itself and find somebody who can boot up football. They're obviously going to have to have um, some knowledge of college football. I understand that, but Hey, they're right down the road in Kansas city. Um, there was some smoke around UCF's new athletic director. I think he's a former Kansas guy, but you're probably gonna have to pay a buyout there. So good luck. Um, uh, also, it doesn't. Uh, uh, that makes no sense from an AD standpoint because ADs, yeah, ADs don't jump yeah, like coaches. Job jumping as an AD is is it, it, it's it's more punitive um, because of the relationship that you have. It's more of a one to one relationship you have with both the school and the donors. So, believe it or not, the coaches are actually a, a step behind that or, or a little bit removed. So, I can't see that happening. Also, from a financial standpoint, to like show your worth as an AD. 
you should fucking go to UCF. Like <laughs> they've got a lot of money and and they they have aspirations. So you should you should do that UCF. Uh, you know? Do not discount the search firm mystery doors. Remember that. Remember that, especially with administrators, even more so than coaches. Search for a mystery door for administrators is a big freaking deal. Um, but, you know, I say that. The other person that sort of has some smoke to him in a sense of you can see it is Mike Harity at Army West Point. He's the number two at Army. Huh. And if you're huh. going to hire Mike Harity, Alex huh. Kirshner, what might you do next with your football program? Well, what what is the status of Operation Kansas Run the Triple Option? O-K-R-T-T-O, as it's codenamed. Uh, well, we're, we're going to work on that acronym. Um the status is they need to hire an athletic director. I'll leave it at that. Um, I, I, I don't want to get too far into source they stuff, but it's not even they need to. They're going to hire an athletic director before they hire a head coach. It's just not going to. I don't think I don't think Kansas is as sold on the idea of Kansas running the triple option as everyone else is. No, I can say that officially. I think right now Kansas still thinks it's something. God bless them, or or hey, it's those you know. You, how dare you, you idiots! You can adopt either tone. I don't care, but I think Kansas still believes it's it's not in need of running the triple. And I guess technically it's not. It's just that every breathing football person in the world right now knows how fast they could actually rebound and how effective they could be down the stretch with, with the triple. We talk a lot. Allow me a very brief monologue about how stakeholder buy-in is important when you're deciding, contemplating whether you want to run the triple. But at this point, the overwhelming majority of the teams that run it or run something close to it have been doing that for a very long time. You know, there are schools that run shotgun spreads that are kind of like the triple, like Tulane. Uh, New Mexico has sort of flirted with this. But let's understand that if we're talking about the triple option as we all understand it on this podcast which is something like the flexbone or the wishbone whatever like you're pretty much right now just looking at service academies that are doing that and obviously paul johnson did it at at georgia tech i wonder if there's not something to this that's a little bit more logistical than the ideological thing that we talk about we always talk about the ideological thing right godfrey like if you if you go to the triple you're sort of saying something about your team you're saying we're probably not trying to compete at the highest highest level but we're trying to raise the floor on our program because we're going to be a nightmare for different defenses that aren't used to playing us and it can have some some benefits for our own defense and all of all of that is there a player buy-in issue at all uh, or a roster turnover issue at all that comes yeah definitely with, the, the thing that comes to mind is like you know you already have if you're Kansas, all of these attrition issues that have set back your roster in terms of scholarships by many, many years, your receivers aren't going to be happy. Your offensive linemen might not be happy. Your linebackers. Uh, no, 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 no. They might your not Your offensive happy. linemen are going to be very happy because offensive they linemen fucking happy. love to run block. They might. Well, the thing, mm-hmm. but, but, but there's a different, they might. It's a scheme fit thing. It's a scheme fit thing. Obviously, the triple, that is an offensive lineman friendly system. But if your guards and tackles aren't, uh, how should I say this? Life? Six, if, seven? If, if they're if, not six, seven? If they can't. Or run, excuse me, if, if they're they not six, two, excuse me. Exactly. If they can't space the floor a little bit, uh, get out and run. They're not gonna. They're not gonna thrive in that system. Your wide receivers, unless you like fall ass backwards into a Demarius Thomas situation, 
should probably understand that they're not going to be eating a whole lot in that offense. Your linebackers might hate it because what happens to linebackers in practice every day in the triple option? Uh, it's you have to no, practice it. That's, you have to see, practice it. But the thing is, your starting linebacker and your two deep linebacker and probably your three deep linebacker, they're not getting cut in practice. That's just not not ever. Works. Not ever. No. Okay. They, those no, guys no. are not ever. How do you cut in ins- how do you install the scout the team? The scout team will be the ones who mm-hmm. will get cut if anybody is getting cut. Now, remember, football writ large these days, that's college, pro, high school, tackling less, hitting less. Okay, fair it's point. It's stay up. It's stay off the ground in general. What you usually do to sort of install the cut um, and drill the cut is you sort of say, I think it's, and there's a coach on this who's going to yell at me, it's near shoulder pad to outside thigh pad, if I remember correctly. Um, Somebody's gonna DM me on that. Um, That's how they drill it. So there are ways to do it half speed. Um, There are ways to also do it where like, you know, a linebacker may sort of hold like a shield sort of on the ground and it has like an aiming point. Uh, and and they just sort of go at it half speed or whatever, and th- that's how you sort okay. of roll through it. Well, then I'll but just, no, starting linebacker is not getting cut. I would just ask the question then, but you've just signaled that maybe this, I wouldn't say fear, but this thing that comes to my mind, maybe it's not as big a factor as I think it might be in my head. Do you have any worries if you're Kansas that if you – make this wholesale change to the triple option that you may cause your roster to be nuked even more than it has been previously and you might set the get to 85 scholarship mission back like more than you have to which has already been a problem for them or is that in my head it could be in my head it's just something i was thinking it's a little both I mean, it's a little of both. You're definitely going to have attrition, but I don't think you should fear it because you have attrition in pretty much every coaching change now. Again, the way we talk about this writ large, not related to a bad school like Kansas or a unique offense like the triple, all this is going to change because we have one-time transfer. We have a whole new transfer market that's going to emerge and change the way in which we talk about like, oh, well, you don't want this to happen because all your guys are going to transfer. Your guys are going to have a chance to transfer after every year now. We're going to change the way we talk about this and the way that we assume season-to-season personnel losses. So I don't think it should prohibit any one offense from being installed or any one defense from being installed. You're going to lose wide receivers, okay? You're probably going to lose some other skill position guys. You're probably going to lose quarterbacks. Obviously, guys who were there to play under the offenses that Les Miles had or David Beatty, for that matter, did not sign up for this. Um, And that's okay. You're going to have a year that it's not particularly great, but you're going to have that regardless. So the thing about the triple is you can usually find personnel in places where other people aren't aggressively hunting for them and you'll be left out of it. And that's the shit you have to do in Kansas anyway. Exactly. That can basically usher this whole thing along quicker than running any other system the bottom line is this like it's unique you're supposed to zag where they zig because you have all these other schools that have better i mean just honestly are more attractive better places to play college football if you're going after the same air raid wide receiver the same air raid quarterback you're not going to get them that's the point in being different okay respect so I I'm convinced and i will not uh i will not throw up that mental roadblock anymore with kansas running the triple they should. Uh, do we have any? It's it's probably foolhardy to talk about who they're talking to until they hire an AD because, as you've both pointed out diplomatically, that would be stupid. Uh, 
Any indications about the type of coach that they are looking at even prematurely with this amorphous blob yeah. that's doing the doing the looking? Uh, they're not. Uh, they're again. They're not married to looking at option guys. They're they're, they're going to look at coaches from other Power Five schools. That they've already done that. They've contacted sitting coaches at other Power head Five coaches schools or like quality uh, control types. Head coaches, dude. <laughs> GAs. No, uh, it's their power. It's it, their Power Five job. Their Power Five job. If you're a Power Five job, you do Power Five things, and this is a Power Five. They job. have they have contact. They, they have been in touch. Uh, let me just say this. They've been in touch with the Power Five head coach and asked him if he was interested. In that is ridiculous. I That's will ridiculous. not say who. Uh, we can talk about it after it's over. Um, coaches, again, though, are already asking questions that they don't have the answers to at Kansas, which is why they need to set all this aside. Um, again, I, I, I feel like uh, with the triple, someone's going to have to convince them that it's not just the triple. Because what the triple's going to do is go, it's going to be the wishbone that, that you've seen on the Army-Navy games at first. No coach on either one of those staffs at Army or at Navy, Air Force runs something different technically, okay? Neither one of those coaches on those trees has ever said to anyone in the industry they want to run the triple forever. <laughs> and what I mean by that is the under center, under, under center, A back, B back, wishbone. Now Paul's, a little, they Paul's don't. a little different. Paul's a little different. Paul is, yes, Paul is different, but Paul ain't here. And that's for a reason, okay? What these coaches want to do is use that as a foundation, especially early on when the, when the fundamental wishbone does provide you an advantage. They then want to evolve and iterate and pull things in. That's what Willie Fritz did at Georgia Southern and at Tulane huh, before he hired of, Will Hall. Huh, speaking of like, Willie Fritz. <clears throat> there is, again... I don't know how many times I have to say this because, unfortunately, I'm going to be honest with you, and I'll say this publicly. Ken Niamatololo and Jeff Munkin, out of their respect for, and and I really think they, they feel indebted to the academies for giving them those jobs, they don't go and, and hustle quite like I think they should. I, they don't go out and communicate these things to athletic directors quite the way that I think should. Jeff Munkin didn't have a proper agent until he finally got with Jimmy and those guys, Sexton and those guys, like a year and a half, two years ago, there's a reason you have to go with CAA or you have to go with Trace or you go with one of the major agents in college football. You have to, okay? Unfortunately, you have to. It's very, very hard not to. There are exceptions and I can name them, but I'm just telling you it's a much easier path to take. Those guys should be more out in public saying, yeah, at Army, this is the, like, this is the offensive lineman that I have at Army where he has to be under a certain weight all the time, and then he has to immediately go in for field training in January when we're done. We have to run this particular run play or this base package because that's the personnel. At Kansas, we can recruit anybody we want to. It is a little bit of joy. Honestly, Richard... I do think Paul kind of fucked it up and salted the earth because he was so he was so hard headed about not iterating and, and constantly defending the the triple and option also the, that people where people he, they only see that one offense and they don't see that it's 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 Gus Malzahn's cousin for Christ's sake and it's where he did it that I think Paul will always like that's the combination of not just that he did it but where he did it in the state of Georgia with all that talent sitting right there to do whatever it is you'd really want. That's sort of the galling thing about Paul to me. 
one thing that's worth pointing out before we move on, uh, and I'm not pointing this out to make fun of Kansas for kicking the tires, kick the tires, there's no harm in it. One of the most common lies that fan bases tell themselves, and and this happens every year, is Power 5 schools think we're going to hire another team sitting Power 5 head coach, and they just don't. It happens once to twice a year. Like, you know, Florida hired Dan Mellon from Mississippi State. Great. Uh, I don't even remember who the last one was. There were none of the 20-ish coaching changes in FBS in this last cycle. Not a single one. Texas did not hire a sitting Power 5 head coach. Though they did hire Richard, a national championship coach. In they did. Division. They did. Uh, it just doesn't happen. And I am a veteran of several University of Maryland coaching searches where I have heard the rank and file talk about how, like, yeah, we're going to hire, I don't know, Virginia Tech's head coach is going to come to Maryland or something like that. Or like NC State's head coach would love to come up to Maryland. No, he wouldn't. Like they're It's not, just funny because they're not Florida, Florida has hired, I guess, three of the last four or three out of five Florida coaches were that. That's funny. Yeah, you live in rarefied air. Uh, speaking of rarefied air, Home Field <laughs> Apparel is your home for premium, vintage, direct-to-consumer, and highly comfortable collegiate apparel. Great friends of this podcast since before we were even a podcast. Uh, there's pretty much no type of collegiate, comfortable collegiate apparel that Homefield has not tried out making at this point with great success. Uh, they got premium tees, premium crewnecks, hoodies, occasionally even joggers. So those have been on such a limited run that, Richard, you tried to get the I, I, I have procured. I have procured, oh, um, but uh, they did not have, I guess in the, the jogger line that they had, they did not have one that uh, complemented my derriere. Uh, so enough. we had a bit of an issue there, but the great folks at Homefield made things right because they have excellent customer service. They do. Uh, you can get 20% off your first order at Homefield using the promo code SZD. Again, that's SZD as in Split Zone Duo. This week's Homefield Apparel Shirt of the Week uh, is an opportunity for me to point towards a team that is still alive in the NCAA men's basketball tournament. That's the Colorado Buffaloes. I think that every time Homefield releases a new collection for a university, I'm like, wow, that's great. And I mean it like it's always very, very good. It's comfortable. I usually buy something myself uh, and I'm obviously like paid to say it. So I would say it even if I didn't wholesomely believe in this product, Colorado's selection like really hits. Uh, it is a great, great, great group of, of shirts. Uh, the shirt of the week this week is the charcoal crew neck uh, with a retro buff, gold buff in the middle of a white sea. Uh, I think that home field just like charcoal and like navy blue and green fabrics are just like like they're different like they just like the dyeing just like hits me right it hits different it does hit different like different colors of shirts hit different I mean I, I like them all but those in particular uh, so check them out especially if you are uh, especially but not in particular if you are or but not exclusively if you're a fan of the Colorado Buffaloes promo code SZD gets you 20% off of your first order and you support this podcast you demonstrate our incredible clout in the marketplace and our ability to bend the apparel marketplace to our will folks we've just talked about kansas uh i want to talk about another school that has been in a similar situation in a different conference stephen goffrey you just met the other day is my understanding with the new man in charge of the football program at vanderbilt Spent some time it did. with Clark Lee. Yeah, Clark Lee. Yeah, uh, virtually over Zoom. Yeah, um, yeah it's uh, a little strange to do that, the Zoom part of it, because um, 
we've talked about this before, but this is the time of year because football is a 365-day-a-year occupation where you go out and you meet new you, you meet the new guys. You, you go and maybe maybe you knew a coordinator who got a head coaching job. Maybe you knew part of a staff that went somewhere else. This is this is what you do because when it gets to the football playing time of year, these guys are slammed. They, literally every second of their day is accounted for. So the ability to kind of shoot the breeze and go over stuff with reporters and gossip and you know just answer kind of longer questions this is the time of year to do it um yeah they're they're not that busy now they are that busy in september no. they're not that busy in yeah the they'll days. tell you they're busy right now but they're not um so uh met with clark lee talked kind of uh you know large scale uh talked about nashville talked about the program at vanderbilt and you know i think that um it's funny because we we live seasons at a time. Like even this podcast, even when we tell people, "Hey, it's a four year project or it's a five year project," if you don't have any interest in Vanderbilt, if you're not a fan, if you're not a rival fan, like if it's just another team, then you have no reason to check in on Vanderbilt for three years. And I say that uh, with a sense of respect. I think they are they are going to under Clark Lee rebuild everything. This is a gut it to the studs operation, and one of the things that I, you know he and I talked about was a lot of this isn't football related. A lot of this is fundraising. A lot of this is you know the the, the Vanderbilt community and how sleepy it's been about supporting football, and also you know the, those were my words, not his. Um, but just about how like he told a story and it kind of it kind of made a little hay locally here and i don't know if it made it out nationally but it's a really interesting story so that so clark lee is from nashville he played at a very very prestigious private school called mba uh, montgomery bell academy god and that if you don't, sounds yeah <laughs> and if you don't know any, if you don't know anything about mba it's it is the school that dead poet society is based off of is that where herb street's um, kids go Yes. Went? So um, go both. Went? Went? I, don't I don't know. They're, um, they're the big red. They're called the, the some of two of them are like Clemson. That. I don't yeah. know. Um, one's at Ohio State too. Preferred walk on. I don't know why I know this information. Um, they're the big red machine. Anyway, so he went from playing for this kind of like private school power or whatever. He played college baseball for a while, and then he's at Vanderbilt, and like it was the lean years. It was the Bobby Johnson years. Like it, it, it wasn't good, and. He was the kind of prototypical, like, workman-like defensive player, always wanted to be in the gym, always wanted to be, like, trying to get better. He was the sawed-off guy. And one day he went to go lift, and he couldn't get in his own weight room at an SEC school because Boise was practicing for the Music City Bowl. And Vanderbilt had agreed with the Music City Bowl to give them their facilities without ever checking with the football team. So you couldn't even go in. Now, it's hard Vanderbilt season was over. It's like tough to overstate how insane that is. Vanderbilt season was over. I want to impart that, right? This is bowl season. Boise was in town. You could look whenever this was. I don't. I mean, it had to have been. He's my age, so he would have been done playing college football in 02 or 03. Um, and he played under Bobby Johnson, so it was a while ago. But he he has talked a lot about like how pissed off he was about that as a player. Like that that was the level of respect and attention afforded to Vanderbilt football. And so the big thing is is like, do you believe that shtick or not? I live here, and I believe that if you believe like what the NCAA is selling, 
then you should think that Vanderbilt is the best option in college football. Because if you believe in student athlete, if you believe in the concept of higher education, as well as working in this rarefied field or learning to work or whatever, there is no better combination of getting a world-class degree, as they always say at all those fucking schools, and competing against the best in the industry, which is the SEC, right? It should be that. Why it's not might have more to do with the fact that college football isn't actually about that. But you want to believe in Vanderbilt because you want to think like, well, if I had a kid and he was being recruited as an NFL player or as a college football player, like giving him, giving that football player the best of all possible outcomes, like the best career out of football, the best degree possible to go to law school or get an MBA or whatever, like you would send them to Vanderbilt because he would also compete against the SEC's best. In Godfrey, the, again, it's about, in theory. Godfrey, it's about the next 40 years, not just the next four. That's that's right, because you're going to go pro in something other than sports. Um, so, like, you in theory should want Vanderbilt to be functional, and that's he and I talked in the abstract about that. We did not talk about like you know scheme and diagnostics and all that. So we're we're going to do this thing, I, I guess, in perpetuity or as long as we like to do it, which is basically springboard. We're going to just parachute in on a couple schools a week uh, because we feel like it. Uh, Godfrey had this conversation, so it sort of made sense and we were interested in doing it. So we did. Um, Alex has a couple questions, but I'm sort of shortcutting through his formula because the th- a thing that Godfrey said is something that I want to key in on as far as one of Alex's questions, which is what do we like here as far as Vanderbilt or, or about Vanderbilt? And just in talking to some of the people around Vanderbilt on my end, what's interesting here is that what Godfrey's saying is pretty true in the sense of because nobody cares, you can sort of just do whatever the fuck you want. Like James, like nobody cared what James Franklin was doing while he was doing it. Then they beat Georgia. Then you reverse engineer the narrative about the things that worked and you can paint a clear line from A to B to C to bowl game to Jordan Matthews. So right. it, 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 it benefits you in a sense to be Vanderbilt um, in this sense because you can take some swings on some guys or, or you can take some swings on some ideas and it sort of gets lost in the sauce with the Predators and the Titans and the Vols. Like, it sort of just sort of goes by the wayside. Um, and I, the, the thing that sort of strikes to mind for me is, like, with recruiting, like, think Gus Malzahn just got fired because he, uh, because he, in part, because he didn't have success in a specific area of a different state. Like, that, that pressure does not exist in Vanderbilt. Who does Vanderbilt have to go recruit? What, what, what fence does Vanderbilt have to put around even Nashville? Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I think, I mean, all that's true. I, I think that it's, the problem there, Richard, is that a lot of, fa- I think a lot of fans of some subpar teams would probably push back a little bit in that, like, you can, at this point in years zero, one, two, three, you can experiment, you can, you can be unafraid to try things. The problem is, is that lack of interest in the malaise and the fan base and the community, it bites you in the ass when you get good. And it is the single reason why James Franklin went to Penn State. I know it's Penn, everyone's like, well, no, he went to Penn State because it's Penn State. I'm telling you right now, the Penn State he went to was a damaged brand that no one really knew whether or not it would recover um, at the time. And at the time, he had a nine-win SEC team. Regardless of the name on the front of the jersey, it was a nine-win SEC team. The problem was he knew he couldn't keep it going. 
He knew he couldn't keep it going because you need, at a certain point, you need all those crazy Auburn fuckers to write checks, mm. fill stadiums, talk about recruits on the radio, do kinds of weird obsessive shit because then you have a fervent fan base who wants to support your football program. And what Franklin knew was the truth was that Vanderbilt was not equipped to provide him those things. And so eventually, it's real hard to win nine games at Vanderbilt all the time. So Godfrey... In general, when we play this game, springboard, get it? It's spring. These teams are on our board. The four things that I would ask, and you've already kind of given me, you've given me an indication of this, is what's their deal? What do we like? What do we not like? And then best case, worst case, likeliest case for the next year. I've gotten the vibe that what we don't like for the long term is that when they're good, then what? Because apathy might still be there. Well, the other, yeah, the but, other thing that we don't like is that remember here, and and we were talking about this off air a little bit. Like, I think. Clark Lee being so in the tooth with Vanderbilt, um, it it maybe it takes that kind of guy for this job because remember the floor here is so so low. Like this team just went zero and nine. Like when it is bad, it can be very 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 bad. So remember, well, they are. That so that's plays, my that plays so that, in here. That's the. I guess my question I, though, Garfi is. They are very bad, Turkish point. They're terrible. Yes. So, like, just short uh-huh. range, like next year or two, are there any big wrenches that you see that would, like, possibly prevent even the early stages of a rebuild from getting off the ground? Like, things that could be very immediate-term mm. problems? Or do you see that there is probably a honeymoon because of all of the expectations, things that we've just discussed, that will probably be unimpeded? Not in the first year because because the pivot point is going to come like I just I mentioned in the previous segment about Georgia Tech, like you can promise and talk and do all the off field stuff like until you're blue in the face in year zero one two but like this year, Georgia Tech has to start winning football games and they may or may not have the personnel to do it. Then, all of the promises that you've made and the and the and the kind of unique things that you've pitched the media, then it becomes lip service. So for a one-year examination of Vanderbilt, I don't think there's anything in football terms that, like, in, in a football schedule sense, if they go buckshot, it's not going to hurt them. Here's the other thing too: it's they're not. I don't think they're that cratered out. I don't think it's it's that it's it's not as bad as Kansas. It's not. It's not as bad as like a Bowling Green situation right now in the MAC. It's not as bad as like. It, it, I think it, it's similar to what Oregon State was dealing with, but when when Smith came in at Oregon, like certifiably State. So bad, going, but not exa- like you're not in the Mariana Trench. Yeah, I mean, like I I was at the Tennessee game to talk to some individuals at Vanderbilt about this coaching search and like watched a good two and a half quarters of football against Tennessee and like there's a functional football team there. They're just not talented and and one of the things they really lacked was any energy identity. I mean, uh, the the guy who had come, the OC from Louisiana Tech had already taken over his interim. I mean, they were flat because their head coach had been fired, but you know, it's I don't think it's a worst case scenario. As far as like Alex, you're asking, what do I like? Here's what I like. I like that an experiment is going on. I like that something different is happening in college football. It's happening close to me so I can keep an eye on it and it could potentially yield something unique and potential and maybe even like, I don't want to say game changing, but just something different in the sport. Yeah. Fair I, enough. Uh, I, what I'm a, fr- what's the other, what's the other two questions? What, what's their deal and best case, best. So uh, I, best I got their deal. The deal is that he's a true believer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think but we know their deal. Best case, uh, they're, worst they're, case, likeliest best, case for this year. 
Um, I, again, floor ceiling and light, and and then the median. I, I mean, it's it's literally like one zero zero one two three or something like that in terms of a win total. So I wouldn't worry too much about that because they just don't have any gaps in the schedule. I do think that they have the ability to bite someone in the ankles of a Missouri variety of a first year South Carolina variety. Oh, I got your of, ankle bite right here. September twenty first. What's their non conference? Hold on, because that's where I'm going. September twenty first. Maybe they don't win that game. But if they annoy Stanford for three quarters, mm-hmm. I think there is there's got to be some blip on the radar for beating or annoying or hanging with the sort of you're mm-hmm. supposed to be Stanford of the mm-hmm. East mm-hmm. sort of thing. Stanford is bad, but I get the sense from what Godfrey has said on the show before that Vandy kind of wants to be the Fresno of the South and a... You mean the, the Stanford, Stanford of the South? South? What, what Fresno of the South would be very interesting. Fresno of the South. I'm jumping, I'm jumping ahead to our next segment. Already, no, no, no. I'll leave it in. We'll leave it in. We don't have to edit. But the, I think that they would get more mileage out of annoying Stanford than most teams would knowing that Stanford is now kind of bad. But they also, they yeah, also yeah. do have to show a pulse in the SEC. Like you can't just, you can't just lose to Stanford by 10 points and then lose out. Yeah, I think all, yeah, I, I would agree with all that. So, somewhere between zero and three is the is the thing here. I really don't think they're going to go. I, I know they have a winnable SES game. Again, I don't have their schedule in front of me. It does not matter. Do not look at the schedule this year. Do not look at the schedule. You might be able to look at individual quarters or halves in conference play later on in the year when they start to get an identity. This is going to be a long-term construction project, which is if you live in Nashville, you're really fucking familiar with anyway. Um, I am I, the reason to pay attention to this. If you're a hardcore college football nerd, is to see how they lay that foundation right now. If you're casual, come back at the end of 22, at the beginning of 23, to see if he can do it. I think the um, and this is the last thing I have on them. But as far as like scouting, how they put this roster together, um, you know, I, I I don't think they're I don't think they're dumb. Like you need a certain class of football player to compete in this conference, uh, but like. Right now, if Vanderbilt is getting a player that Georgia wants, there's a reason for that. And Bud would say this all the time. When Georgia Tech was started booting up, Bud would always ask, who is Georgia Tech getting over Georgia? Like, who is Georgia Tech beating Georgia for, for kids in that home state? And Vanderbilt, it it sort of applies as well. Um, You know, I think Vanderbilt has an opportunity. They're in an NFL city. You can pitch sort of an NFL-style front office thing or whatever. Um, Bud's former co-host, Barton Simmons, is like his uh, title is general manager. Um, So, you know, there's something there maybe where you sort of do like an NFL model and you start to pitch that. um, And you sort of pitch, hey, you know, pro development and, uh, and degree from Vanderbilt. You got some here. Which is basically what Vanderbilt baseball does, and that's why they get so many MLB players. And yeah, and that's the thing. Vanderbilt is it. It's easier said than done to say Vanderbilt baseball went zero to sixty national championship in so many years with Tim Corbin, but it's been at least done in the hardest conference in that sport. And, and, and is being done, I might add. Like they're they are a functional, like a a what do I say, an at present dynasty building. They're very good. The kid threw a no hitter the other day. Speaking of the Fresno of the South, uh, what about the Fresno of the Fresno, Alex? Uh, yeah, I'm very excited. I have decided we're going to do some weeks. We're going to do one P5, one G5 on this springboard series. 
I was doing some uh, investor research, so to speak, on Fresno State, uh, preparing for the show. Buy, 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 and then hold, hold, hold. <laughs> Hodel? Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> Fresno to the moon this year. I'm, I'm a believer. Uh, what is their deal? This is year two, I believe, for Kalen DeBoer, former Fresno State offensive coordinator who'd gone to Indiana for a year before coming back to Fresno State. Uh, he previously led a MAC offense at EMU and also was at Southern Illinois. Uh, Fresno has had kind of an unusual last few years. Excuse me, Fresno State. I don't think we're supposed to just say Fresno. It's one of those situations. Uh, where I think you could say Fresno if you want to. I don't think they mind, Alex. Uh, they may. But we, yeah, I, guess, I, say, but I, think, well, I guess we'll find out. I guess we're going to find out. But Fresno State has been on a bit of a cycle, first with Tim DeRoyder and then with Jeff Tedford, where there was lots of early success under both of those coaches. They won, each of them won 20 plus games in their first two years. And then within a year or two, they were down in like three and nine, four and eight territory. And things were, were not good. They kind of peaked quickly and then slowly, too quickly decelerated. Uh, DeBoer went three and three in the COVID year, but it was not the world's most encouraging three and three. They beat three very, very, very bad teams, which was the Adazio Colorado State outfit, UNLV, and a cratering Utah State. Uh, and I think they had, you know, those were their, those were their, all their wins, and they lost to Hawaii, Nevada, and New Mexico. You know, only one of which was really great. So the deal is, we're sort of like gonna see, and like they're in need of a much better year but there is a lot to like in terms of they have 22 returning starters nine on offense 11 on defense two on special teams they lost two offensive linemen and their punter and there's going to be a lot of that going around this year but did you guys watch them at all last year like they're not that far from being typical good fresno and i'm kind of invested i'd like to see where it goes yeah watch that uh i watched that colorado state game which was rough um, I, I think that Fresno is interesting. Apparently, as far as California counties go, they like took it really on the chin with like COVID, coronavirus and everything. Um, that's sort of how I understand it. So I, they really sort of get the COVID mulligan uh, combined with the fact that Kalen DeBoer is a first year head coach. Yeah, they have a lot of players who are who were very promising in the brief season. Jake Hayner is a Washington transfer. He's their quarterback who was like honorable mention all conference, but uh, was volume shooting and throwing pretty efficiently, like nine yards in attempt, 14 to five touchdowns to interceptions. Uh, Ronnie Rivers, their running back, has 30 career starts. Like that is a, a lot back um, just at the skill positions and obviously all over the offense and basically the entire starting defense is back. Given a couple of things, and then and one of these things, Godfrey, I'm curious for your thoughts on, but given that Fresno has had a pretty recent track record of being able to get up in in a hurry. Like they have really improved quickly on several occasions under several different coaches. And given that they aren't coming from like a rock bottom place last year and they have so much back, I'm pretty optimistic. I think they could be very competitive. Also, like you got you've talked about this. The geography for the long term mm-hmm. of California is like in their favor. Like they've recorded I think the last three years they've been in the top four in the mountain west in recruiting every year i don't see any reason why that doesn't continue like the bay area continues to price out lots of regular families who like go mm-hmm. go inward more towards the central valley of california that is a favorable long-term geographic trend for them is it not 
Uh, yes and no. Uh, you know, one of the reasons COVID hit them so strongly is that COVID hit a lot of agricultural and migrant labor because of the nature of the work. Yep. It's just a farmer's community. I remember I was probably in college myself with no real familiarity with the state of California when I realized that they, a team whose colors are red and white who routinely wears nothing but red on the field has a green V on the back of their helmets. That's because of the valley. If you don't know about this place in America, it's a very important place in America because most of the food that we eat comes from this one place in America. It, it, their, their agricultural economy is it's staggering. It's also the it's almond amazing. capital of the world, the Central Valley. Yeah, there's a uh, there's a ton grown there. Um, it, it's a huge economy. It's a huge cultural difference than maybe what you might think of like Silicon Valley or the Bay Area or Los Angeles or the Inland Empire or any of that stuff. The Valley uh, always has the potential to be great, always has the potential to develop a lot of football players. It has a sense of place and identity that you might not experience in other areas of California because what I just described, all those examples I gave about what they're not, those are all transient communities, right? People who grew up in San Diego, maybe they came there because of the military. People who are from Los Angeles, they're moving in and out because they're creative professionals, what have you, et cetera. The Valley is the Valley. People are from there. It is John Steinbeck. It is it is a very distinct identity of um, many many cultures, as well as you know Okies who came from from actual Oklahoma and and the Great Plains states and survived the Dust Bowl. Um, it is a a fundamental backbone of like the Hispanic identity in the United States. And so I say all this because we like to talk about social anthropology on this show. It is its own place, and it's its own place that kind of has football players. Um, it, it's a place that can generate talent. It's also a place, for whatever reason, that has been able to recruit from other parts of California mm -hmm. and do so with a sort of unique, fearless brand. When they're good, Fresno kind of represents a great kind of California football player. USC is different. It's a Tiffany experience. It's going to be five stars it's going to be this sort of a combination of prestige where you know the raw talent from south central los angeles meets the the five-star quarterback from the private schools like uh like modern day um fresno's different it's workmanlike it's this sort of big 10 identity in california all of the coaches on the west coast consider fresno to be one of the best jobs in the on the west coast and i'm including the pac-12 so let me say that one more time Fresno State is one of the best jobs on the West Coast, full stop. It's because of the ability to get in with that talent, bring it to California, and, and it's a football community. It, it, it's There's more of a Friday Night Lights identity in Fresno, California than there is whatever your preconception of San Francisco is. Does that make sense? It does make a lot of sense, yeah. And it's – So yeah. it's, it's a place where, like, it's, it's – it's a good life if you're a football coach, and it's like it, it, it's a it's a life that prioritizes football in the valley. Their last couple coaching hires, they've gone with coaches who have been very clearly by that point on the back end of their career. Like they've gone the retread route with DeRoyter and with Jeff Tedford. DeBoer is different. It's first time head coach. I'm going to be very curious to see uh, how long and and if he you know when he leaves Fresno, how that will happen. I think that. To, you know, Godfrey's point, it is a great job, but it's a job that they have not really gone after, like up and comers. And so you don't know Fresno as like a pipeline to other coaching jobs. Not that that's the way that we like to appreciate these programs. 
but it'll be interesting well, Alex, to see they've what never really had yeah they've never really had that that up and comer no that's the problem is yeah. is they were built by a guy named pat hill into their modern identity and then it was just sort of a series of different kinds of coaches and and none of whom really fit i think the tedford thing was smart um i think he was a placeholder I think he was a placeholder for this current staff because of the connection that they have. Uh, I think Tedford knew that as well. He just kind of got in for a little while, did a job, kind of reset the table. They got away from what they were. They honestly started losing recruiting battles to schools like Boise, um, and they've come back strong. And it's There's nothing unique I can say about them except that they're entirely unique for where they are. One thing that I am not sure I like going into this year, but I really just want to use this as an entry point, uh, before we get out of here, talk about a thing that is going to be very weird in college football in 2021. They got 22 starters back. They got a lot of guys back, mm-hmm. a lot of important guys back. The problem is that everyone is going to have a lot back because mm-hmm. the NCAA gave everyone a freebie year in 2020. So there's just a lot of experience in college football this year. Like this year, there are going to be sixth and seventh year players are going to be dime a dozen in college football this year. There will be a lot mm-hmm. of players who have been for more than half a decade in college football by the time the season comes around. Uh, in my head, I got to tell you, I, I love Fresno State for 2021. I am ready to conduct this train to make it a recurring bit, <laughs> buy in at 12 cents, be out at five bucks, be great. But is it possible that experience just doesn't matter because everybody's got it and everybody's got it in pretty high quantities this year? Yes and no. It just depends on what the situation is and what the system is. I think Fresno is a good example of being really, really scared of upsetting all of that returning culture. Because the coaches, when they come out publicly at all the media days this summer, provided that they have those things, what they're going to say is, hey, we've got all these guys coming back. They understand our culture. They understand how we do things. You know what they're also saying uh, when the cameras aren't on? Can we pull three or four really good transfers in at Fresno State? Can we get guys from the Power Five to come in at a couple key positions to make us that much better? What coaches are sort of stressed out about right now is not the availability of talent or the, the wealth of experience because you're right. They have both of those things. It's do I fuck with it? If I have a lot of returning starters and we are solid, but we're not especially explosive at a couple particular positions, do I fuck with that and go out and get a transfer? How does that upset the balance and chemistry of my roster? Transfers, again, I'm not trying to beat a dead horse on like every single thing we talk about, but going back to the one-time transfer rule and the grad transfers, when you come in and you're, you're like, hey guys, we're building this thing together, we're building this thing together, we're all going to get experience together, and then a year and a half later you say, all right, you guy who, who's done all this stuff, you know, he, you, you've gone through these position drills and you've gone through all these scrimmages, et cetera, et cetera. Well, we found a guy who's transferring out of like, I don't know, Arizona State or something, and he's more talented than you naturally, so we're just going to put him at your position. That creates a lot of unintended effects yeah. inside of the locker room. What I'm talking to coaches about is – how thoroughly can I vet these guys? I was talking to a coach in a, a, a lower tier coach the other day about that. Like how thoroughly can I figure out what this guy is about? And then conversely, this is another topic for another day, guys. Does this negatively impact the transfer? Because every coach is looking at the transfer market with the exception of, of, of like, unless they're Joe Burrow or Justin Fields and going, why is this kid on the market? It's like a used car lot. Like, well, why'd you get rid of it? Mm-hmm. There and so there's just so they, much. There's no good answer to any of and this. And there's just so much shit to look through on the transfer market. Like I cannot imagine how. Like I cannot imagine how you sift through the transfer market. I mean, it's just so. It's a job. Yeah. It literally, literally, it is a job. 
It kind of calls to mind Godfrey's point does something that I recently heard Lewis Riddick talking about uh, with Robert Mays of The Athletic. It was a really interesting interview about how this is a consideration in NFL free agency that a lot of franchises like Richard, sorry, your Jaguars, they they do this Mm. all the time. Washington has done this all the time where and the Eagles have have done this in, in, I think, in like 2011 when they had the dream team. You have locker room issues when you like, even in the NFL, if you draft a guy and then don't pay him three years later, four years later, and then you go and sign someone, then suddenly you're going to have a harder time retaining your own players because they're like, well, the word gets they, out. They're, they're not loyal. It's not an organization that, mm-hmm. that looks out for its own. And while we all love video games, this is probably other than maybe like fitting players into schemes because like in Madden, you can sign anyone and they fit into any scheme that doesn't work that way in real football. The locker room thing might be the biggest difference between uh, video game roster management and real life roster management because it is a tinderbox. Yeah, no, it's it's not something that there's a right answer to because a lot of coaches are also looking and feeling like, how can I shake this locker room up? So Alex, you were talking about everyone having a wealth of experience. Experience never, it, it, it's not a one-to-one with wins. I think we get that probably from looking at like the SEC and the Big Ten and the higher end of college football. It's also just a known. Eight, it's just a known when projecting. Yeah. If you have an eight or nine win team that's returning the majority of its starters, you just assume by virtue of the fact that they've gone through the fire, they've played Georgia and Florida and all these other teams, that you're going to have experience as long as your coordinators are consistent, are your systems the same, you, you assume they're going to be better. Not all experience is good. Right. When you get into the majority of college football, well, I mean, if you have 22 returning starters off of a four-win team, maybe they're not that good. You know, they're just there. So it's there's no right answer. Everyone has to determine their own calculus in this situation. And it's why you're going to see a lot of, a lot of hyperbolic reaction to the one-time transfer market where people are going to say, this is terrible, it's ruining the sport. And then other schools are going to hit a couple times on the blackjack table and go, shit, we pulled, especially in the G5, we pulled this guy from the P5, this wide receiver, this linebacker. Damn, they made us better. Like, what's your like? College football war is a really hard thing to determine. But if they swing you one game in the Mountain West or the Sun Belt, then like, you're gonna look like a champion for for working the transfer market. I think we've said this earlier on this podcast. Like, there are gonna be some teams who come out of nowhere this fall, and you're gonna be like, well, where the hell did that come from? It's gonna be because of this, in addition to recruiting. Yeah, and if Fresno does it, it'll be because they're on the other side of that spectrum. Uh, best case, they win the Mountain West. Uh, West. Remember, the Mountain West was one of the leagues that was a free-for-all last season. No divisions. They are back to divisions this year. Uh, typically, the West is considered the better side of that conference to be on, remember, because Boise State is not in it. This year, maybe a little different because I guess San Jose State is a is a rising power now, and Boise State is a program in transition. But, uh, you know, who knows what San Jose State will be? Who knows what Boise will be under Andy Avalos? I do think that there's a decent chance, uh, if things go well, that this is like a 9-3 and or 10-2 and team. They scheduled, I think, both Oregon and UCLA in non-conference. Oregon's a big swing, uh, but they could beat UCLA. I think they should beat UConn, who's also on that schedule. Worst case, this is a team that runs in place, maybe 6-6. Six and six. I really can't see them going backwards from 500, where they were last year, given all that's back, unless there are a lot of injuries, a lot of bad luck. Likeliest case, I adopt this team. I become a big Fresno guy. <laughs> we talk about Fresno on this podcast all the time. People start tweeting at us about Fresno. We become Fresno guys, Fresno people. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to that because what fun is college football if you can't just claim teams kind of on a whim and 
uh, and take ownership of their bandwagons whenever you want. Why else are we doing this job? I'm uh, I'm a little worried about us adopting Fresno because I feel like it could, it could backfire. But well, I guess let's go for we're it. We're gonna have to see. Everybody needs an ag school. Uh, Stephen Godfrey, thank you for coming on the podcast. We've been meaning to have you on for a while. Uh, where can the people find you in other times? At thirty eight Godfrey on the Instagram, on the Twitter, and BannerSociety.com. You can find me at twitter.com slash Alex underscore Kirshner. Richard, you want to take us home? I'm at RJ underscore rights. When you become eligible, get your shot.